welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Roberta. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. And by the end of this episode, please log on to iTunes and Spotify and leave us a rating and a review. Let's get communicating. My guest today is an old friend of mine, hailing from the beautiful country of South Korea, where I spent almost a decade teaching English. He is also an English professor at Cookman University. He grew up in the United States in New Jersey, and therefore today's discussion, we will be comparing both cultures and helping each of the natives of each country adapt if they happen to move to the other country. And before I go any further, please help me welcome him to the show. Hi, Peter. Hi, Roberta. It's great to be on your podcast. I'm so happy that you joined us finally. We've been having this discussion for a while because we used to just talk as friends. You're like, oh, this is what's happening in Korea. So I'm in the States now. Oh, that's it's different. True. And we'll be like, this is something we should talk about on the podcast. Right? Yeah. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I was born in New York City, lived there till about nine years old. Then my family moved to New Jersey, where I grew up. College and graduate school, I lived in Washington, D.C., and then also Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., for 10 years before coming back to Korea in 2011. I should preface that by saying, after college, I lived in Korea from 1997 to 2001. Went back to the U.S., lived in Virginia for 10 years, and then came back to Korea in 2011. I've been teaching mostly English conversation classes at Korean University since the 2012 spring semester, although I have taught other types of classes. The elective that I created is called Introduction to South Korean-U.S. Relations, which I started teaching in the 2014 spring semester. And it is challenging but I enjoy teaching it because it gives me the opportunity to meet students, not just from different years, but different countries, majors, backgrounds. It's a good class. Unfortunately, one semester is not enough to teach everything, but to give students at least a basic background, foundation, that type of thing. Oh, that's interesting. So it's Korea-U.S. relations. That's the focus that's of right. the class. Would you Correct. like to tell us whatever is allowed, by the way? Would you like to tell us a little bit more the basics that you cover? What the class focuses on are usually three or four different things. The military component, security aspect, diplomatic relations. And if there's enough time this semester, usually trade economic stuff, which of course is increasingly important between the U.S. and South Korea. But I try to keep it as general as possible just because most students I've noticed are not political science or international relations majors. Mm. I've had students who are English majors, engineering majors, and other types of majors that are not typical poli-sci, IR type of majors. But still, most students seem to enjoy it. Some have told me themselves, which I appreciate their feedback, of course. Right. And it's a good type of class for students, whether they're Korean or not, get the exposure, knowledge that they might get from their other class, even though they could conceivably read about it online and through other means as well. 
That is very interesting, especially as you're saying that one of the main reasons for this episode, we want somebody who's moving to Korea, to the U.S., to understand more of the culture and adapt right. a lot better. You and I met at Toastmasters. How is right. your, how's your Toastmasters journey? Definitely enjoy Toastmasters. I definitely enjoy many things, the camaraderie, friendship, and other things that you and I know about Toastmasters, which are very useful. Have you joined any of the virtual ones? Since COVID, obviously, a lot of stuff moved virtual. For instance, if I have a guest and she's in a Toastmasters club, she'll invite me and say, I'll send you the link and we meet at these times. Please join us. And I've gone to some virtual ones. It's amazing to create those kinds of I haven't been to a lot of virtual clubs. I think whether you have a small club or big club, there's nothing like having an in-person offline meeting. That is true. Yeah. What would you say are three top things that Toastmasters taught you? More patience. Even though patience isn't necessarily directly related to communication or leadership, if I had to choose between one of those two, maybe more towards leadership because it can be applied in pretty much any kind of situation, whether we're having a simple conversation like you and me mm. or dealing with difficult coworkers, family members, and others, even having a pleasant conversation with someone who might be long-winded. I think that's a good thing. A few other things that come to mind are trying to be empathetic, show others that you care, even if you might not agree with everything they say, or if you somehow can find something that another person says mm. and you think to yourself, oh, I've been in that kind of situation before. That's something I can definitely relate to, connect with or whatever. I know that there are two different types of clubs in Korea. You've got purely English ones, That's and right. then you've got some Korean ones, actually three, some Korean ones, and then you have ones where it's bilingual. Correct. If I'm a Korean person and I've started my profession and I want to be proficient in sure. English, would you advise me to just go to the deep end and go to a purely English one or the bilingual one at first? and then the English one later? I would say it depends on how comfortable the person's English is. For example, if you are Korean and you, you feel confident, sure enough about your English to test the waters, dive right in and see how comfortable you feel in an all English speaking environment. But I mean, I would say to you, go to any English club that fits your schedule, whichever day of the week. I'm sure you'll find people who want to bring you in, get you up to speed, and help you feel welcome at this club. But if you are kind of iffy, concerned about whether your English is good enough, then I think a club like SBTM, they are bilingual. I've been to one or two of their meetings. Here's the reason I asked that question. Because Toastmasters, at the end of each meeting, there's judging, there's competition, there's right. winners, sure. and... I wouldn't want us, especially as parents, because I was there, I wouldn't want us to make a Korean person feel like you didn't win the speech contest this mm. time because this English native speaker won because their English is better than yours. The focus should be on the content of your That's speech right. and how you delivered it. I agree. What I would say to that person is if they were giving a speech and he or she felt, well, maybe my content delivery or whatever wasn't great. But if they felt sure enough that they did their best, whether it's a first try or however many speeches they've given, I would say to them, 
going to Toastmasters meetings, it's not just getting ribbons for best speaker, best evaluator, best tabletop speaker, or whatever. The important thing is to look at what you did at any given meeting, speech or whatever, mm-hmm. and take note of what you did well. It's like doing a self-evaluation, basically. Right. Look at the speech that you gave. What did you think were the good points? And then things that you think could have been improved for your next speech or future speeches. So that should be the focus. That's what I would tell that person, sure. Right. When you compare both education systems, what would be your one takeaway? If you look at the Korean educational system, although I've never gone to schooling in any capacity here, the perception I get is it's too much focused on memorization. Whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, even college, university, it's not, can I apply this mathematical equation to some sort of scientific experiment? From what I can see, which could be incorrect on my part, it's how many hours do you spend on the subject, that subject per day? Are you drilling into your head these facts and figures? And inevitably, a lot of it is geared towards the college entrance exam, which is its own can of worms. I feel like the way the education system is designed in Korea, it's not very conducive to creative thinking, innovation. I know I know that this is just speaking in general terms, but yeah, of course, mm. the way the education system is designed, it doesn't allow students to not only think creatively and innovatively, but also in terms of thinking more critically, structurally. Society, governments, and whoever else can find ways to fundamentally, radically change those types of things. It's going to be the same no matter who's president. Whereas with the American education system, it's more creative, freewheeling, but it's not as structured in terms of math and science. Perhaps some schools do better than that at others in the U.S., but I feel like American students generally don't have the same types of rigorous education. That's not to say I would want every American kid in elementary school, middle school, or high school to spend hours at after-school academies going late into the night like many Korean kids. But if they want to be more competitive, when I say competitive, what that means is if they take these international tests mm-hmm. to see how America ranks in terms of reading, math, science, American schools actually are also guilty to some degree when it comes to testing because in my own experience in New Jersey, when I was in ninth grade, they have something called New Jersey proficiency test or something. My point is schools across New Jersey, they would take a few weeks out of every year and focus their students on how to take the reading section, math section. In any case, standardized testing does exist in the U.S., but it's not like in Korea where Everything you do pretty much from elementary school all the way up to high school is geared towards the college entrance. Because you have many types of subjects that you can choose from in the U.S., when it comes time to taking the SAT, for example, Mm -hmm. you don't have to take all these endless amounts of subjects just to take a college entrance exam in the U.S. Whereas, as you know, in Korea, you can take Korean language, English, and who knows what other subjects just to take one test that basically determines your future. I heard you talk about governments and how none of them are changing that system. But I remember when I was there, 
somebody said it starts from Samsung LG saying, I want an employee who graduated from the, the Sky Universities. Is it Seoul, Yonsei, uh, what's the K? Korea University. Yes. So I want somebody who graduated from the Sky. But how from high school do you get admitted to the Sky Universities, the three top universities? You must do well in this exam. So this chain of here's the only way I'm going to have a bright future is the reason then from elementary school that you now have to just enter this pipeline. So somebody said, actually, the people who are guilty are the people who run these companies. No? You do bring up a good point in that there is some sort of unofficial pipeline. And if you don't follow this expected unofficial path, maybe you don't go to this top-notch elementary school. But if you do well, it could conceivably open the doors to going to better middle schools, even better high schools. The better schools you go to, of course, especially in Korea, the more doors of opportunity could happen, the better you do academically. Especially with high schools, the reason I mean I focus on high schools in Korea is because there are different types of high schools. Not far from where I live, there's a foreign language high school. That's their focus. Now, back to the college right. entrance exams. You know how the rest of the world has this thing, and I'm sorry to be stereotypical here, where they say, oh, Asian kids are all in advanced math classes. <laughs> and when I saw how rigorous a kid's schedule is, when so you finish regular school, then you start going right. to the extra school academies. We always say, if you spend 10,000 hours on something, you're going to be an expert in it. True. Isn't that Korean kids putting their 10,000 hours, and that's why they become qualified for advanced math classes and they fly through there? I wouldn't be surprised if it's true, but you bring up a good point with this 10,000 hours figure because it's one thing to succeed, improve in whatever topic area or whatever. But I feel like there's too much emphasis and focus on quantity and not quality. What I mean by that is some parents say, oh, you've got to study like X amount of hours every day. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind in school. Do you want that to happen? That type of thing. And the problem in itself for two reasons. One is there's too much focus, as I mentioned, on the quantities. But then the other problem lies in guilting, putting pressure on your kid. Mm -hmm. For people who feel a lot of pressure to meet up to whosoever expectations, I can totally understand. Now let's talk about the workplace cultures. Have you ever worked in the U.S. or you only studied here? Your entire career has been working in Korea. I did work. For about 10 years in Virginia, mm -hmm. in government and other types of jobs. But it is a lot different than the typical Korean work environment. Because although you do have hierarchy in the U.S., it's not heavily Confucius-based like in Korea. In other words, I might have a supervisor. But it's not because that person is more senior, older, or whatever. They've just been doing the job for longer or have more experience back then. But in Korea, I feel that many people, whether they work in government jobs, other private sector jobs, oftentimes get their jobs because you know they might know someone or they have certain seniority or the typical newcomer employee might not have. And one other difference I've noticed is many people have lunch together or sometimes they'll have dinner meeting after dinner drinking parties or whatever. Actually, happy hour is not 
terribly common in Korea. I've noticed. If the boss says it's happy hour and you want your job to not be jeopardized, you're gonna go. No. Sure. Those types of priorities can be tough to juggle because, as much as someone might want to go to a family thing, if company says, "Hey, you got to do this or that," or even if they don't outright say it, the implications are there that if you don't go along, then you're not going to be able to move up, get more money, or or whatever else the case might be. Which does affect your career, and you don't want that after working so hard. It's true. What I don't know if you're familiar with, we have to stay as cultural dimensions model. Which is some countries gravitate towards this workplace culture. Some countries gravitate towards a different one. When it comes to comparing the Korean versus the U.S. culture, what is the top cultural dimension that where you see major differences? A few things that come to mind are if I'm working at a Korean company, there's less freedom, from my understanding, to stick out, stand out, and tell someone here's what I think. The general Impression or perception I get is even if I have a factually accurate opinion, whether I tell off colleague, supervisor, they might not accept it. Even if everything checks out, just because a typical company environment isn't really flexible or allowing for that. But if you look at the American company, let's say you're my supervisor, boss, and if I were to say to you, Roberta, you know, this is what I think. Here's what we should do. And you might not agree with everything, but at least you're keeping an open ear and mind. Oftentimes in Korea, I blame that in part on Confucianism. Obviously, you have a lot of friends who are coming from other countries, come to work in Korea. Do they find it hard to adjust to that culture in general? From what I can tell, not huge amounts of difficulty or struggle. Mm. I think it's easier for foreigners if they're not Korean. In other words, I have friends at you know, Toastmaster Church, other places, and generally they don't have as much difficulty because they're not Korean. But for Koreans like me, even though I'm not a native Korean, the expectations are different. I'm supposed to think a certain way, act a certain way, and oftentimes criticize and push back against those things because number one, I don't want it forced on me, and number two, it conflicts. In my opinion, with what I've known, I don't want to be narrow-minded or flat-out reject something just because it's American. But if I have to choose between what I'm used to versus what is accepted just because it's oh, well, this is the way it's always been, you're older. I don't really like those types of ideals because just blindly following Pied Piper, figuratively speaking, is I think not only a bad thing. But could it conceivably be a recipe for disaster? Just because doing what somebody says, no questions asked. Well, that doesn't leave any room for a little negotiation, discussion, depending on what type of situation might be. But if I am able to at least express a few things, and the other side says, "Okay, let's keep," then I think it's fair to say that things are more open that way. But at least in the U.S. context. Mm. In Korea, Obviously, though, this I, is general speaking. So go ahead. Sure. In Korea, I feel like if I wasn't Korean, Koreans might be more open, relatively speaking, and well, understand because, that you're a foreigner, so you do things differently where you come from. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I remember the first time I had an opinion or something, and my co-teacher, you usually assign the Korean co-teacher is gonna guide you, and she said. 
uh, I'm sorry, Roberta, in Korea, we don't do that. And I had to take a step back and say, oh, okay. I must remember, I'm not in South Africa anymore. I've come to Rome and I must do what the Romans do. (laughs) And me realizing, wait a minute, this is in South Africa where I'm going to have an opinion on everything. I always say to people, because sometimes you have people who do what they call a midnight drive, meaning I'm going to run away, not even tell my school I'm quitting because I can't stand this. In the U.S., I have an opinion, you know, here. That's their personality. Let's just make that clear. It doesn't mean that it's as bad as it sounds, but just some people's personalities, they can't adapt. And so what I have found is people who live in Korea for 10, 20, 30 years teaching and having a great time. I had a great time. It's because if you have the personality to be adaptable and learn to work in a different environment than the one you are used to, no matter where you go in the world, it just makes your life a little easier. No, it does. Mm. I agree with that. Korea didn't ask me, oh, please come in from South Africa and teach us. Oh, we're in desperate need of your teaching skills. I'm the one who said I wanted to come here. So when I get here, read the room, see how things are done, and then be adaptable and flexible enough to say, I'm in this environment now. Respect people. It's like coming to somebody's house. You have rules in your house with your wife on how you conduct business in your house. And if visitors come there, they need to stick to that. Right. I mm. agree. Because I always find that a lot of the time when people don't agree with how things are done in Korea, they went there to teach and they suddenly go back home and they say, oh, in the U.S. we have this, we have that, and it's so different and I couldn't. You wanted to be there. You went to their house. True. My job, it's pretty relaxed because I don't deal with a lot of Korean colleagues or faculty. In my department, there are a few Koreans, but they teach various English classes. And because two of them have lived in the U.S., they have at least a pretty open mind compared to your typical Korean college. I feel like my experience might not be the best example in terms of how I deal with Koreans. But my guess is for other Koreans, there's more of a hierarchy because you might have a department head, dean, or for those who work in administration, you might be working for the chancellor, president, a provost or some other administration official. Mm. In those types of scenarios, I could see how there might be more tension, structure, conflict, because the responsibilities and demands are different. Right. When we were speaking earlier about how, if you have situations where the boss says, you listen to what I say, in Western cultures, there's a lot of leadership executive coaching. Are Korean companies open to that? Do they do it or they think we are fine the way we've been doing things all these years? Honestly, I don't know. But I'm willing to bet that if there's a CEO, senior VP or some other high ranking company official, government official or other type of official. And he or she says something I'm doing is not working. For example, let's say I am a company executive working in public relations advertising and I'm thinking, all right. Something is not right. I feel like after repeated attempts, my approach strategy is just not working. It's time to call and help. I mean, that would be me if I was doing it by myself. But I think if other people were in a similar situation, they might try to be stubborn and not ask for help. Just because accepting help might be seen to them or others as helpless, weak. Incompetent. I don't know my incompetent. job. Sure. Mm. The Confucius system. I think a lot of Western democracies tend to think it's only bad. You know, it's too everybody together, collective. 
you know, I'd rather live the American dream where I'm just going after it, casualties along the way, <laughs> I'm reaching my American dream. Let's look at the advantages of such a system compared to being individualistic. What would you say is the one advantage of that system? If there's one advantage to the Confucian system, I would say there's a certain sense of orderliness that democracies, capitalism might not have. In other words, in Confucius countries like Korea and other Asian Pacific countries, of course, you have someone who's a president and other types of leaders. But more than that, there are expectations, focuses on taking care of family, especially if they're elderly which is not as common in the U.S. and other Western countries. Yeah, South Africa does the same. We, we don't have old age homes for our grandmas and grandpas. I mean, they do have them in Korea. I, I mean, I can't speak to how good or bad they are, but mm. they do have those types. Of, however, unlike the U.S., Korea doesn't really rely on nursing homes and similar types of facilities as much because... Many people, though maybe not as much as in years past, want to take care of their parents for as long as they can before their father or mother might pass away. I think that's good because it would be good if the U.S. could take a page out of that and try to see how they can better take care of loved ones, relatives, or whoever the case might be. That would be my answer to that question. After the Korean War... And if Koreans were as individualistic as most Western cultures are, do you think that they would have rebuilt at the pace and the rate at which they built the country afterwards? I don't, actually, because at the time of the Korean War, if you had a lot of free-thinking, free-willing people doing whatever the heck they wanted to, it might not have resulted in what Korea experienced when its economy soared, boomed in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I understand how people might say, well, then you're saying dictatorship takes priority over democracy, human rights. But I feel like given how poor Korea was in the 50s and 60s, there really was little choice. I don't condone what dictators did during those periods. Restriction of people's freedoms, torture, and the myriad of other types of things. But I have to grudgingly accept and admit that economic growth did help Korea rise from ashes of poverty to what it is today. But going forward, whether you have dictatorship, authoritarianism, some combination of the above, it's no recipe for growth because in recent years, the economy has stalled. COVID didn't help. Oh, yeah. But something has to change, though, if Korea is going to regain anything close to what it did in its heyday. Mm-hmm. Okay, first, let's have you conclude on the education system. Okay. What would be the one piece of advice you'd give a parent who maybe they get a job in Korea and then the kids are going to go to a school there? What's the one piece of advice you think they need to hear today? I would tell them, first, access the internet. There's tons of information on there, whether it's joining Facebook groups that deal with expats, foreigners across Seoul or whichever part of Korea you're in, explore. Even if you don't speak much, if any, Korean, because if you're not Korean, it's actually to someone's advantage because whether someone is going to a local market or other types of store, the fact that you're trying to engage, learn, absorb the Korean environment, I think that is a good step. If someone wants to learn language, plenty of websites, 
I've told a few foreign friends, if you want to improve your Korean speaking skills, understanding skills, whatever, then there's a website called EBS Durian, like the fruits, which is free. You, you can just yeah. log in and learn Korean by watching videos or other types of online activities. The other thing I would say is travel, drive, get out of Seoul, if you're in Seoul, that is. Mm-hmm. There's so many and festivals across different Korean cities <laughs> celebrating right, all the true, beauty. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's so much to do. Yeah, yeah. Tons of stuff. So be open-minded. And then what about if you are being employed by a Korean company and you are right. used to this democratized work culture, what piece of advice would you give somebody who then comes to Korea to work there? One piece of advice I would say is if you're used to being very direct, outspoken, there's nothing wrong with it, but don't be a little less because it's not as accepted as in more Western democratic societies, especially in like corporate settings, for example. I think if I were to talk to a workplace senior, colleague, supervisor, whoever, if we're on good enough terms, I would say any grievances, complaints privately, not in a group meeting or other group environment, because if there are too many people and someone raises his or her hand and says, oh, I've got a problem with this, you know, rumors could spread. And if someone's reputation is ruined, destroyed in the process, that could hinder or prevent someone from getting a raise, promotion, other professional opportunities, and make their employment, depending on how long they're at that company or organization, difficult to endure. And what would you tell a Korean person who's coming to work in the U.S.? What I would say is don't hold on to the Korean crutch, figuratively speaking, because if you want to improve your spoken English, get more acclimated to an American society, town, whatever, mm-hmm. the best one of the best ways to do that, similar to the example I gave of an American coming to Korea, put yourself out there. Join a local activity, whether you find it on meetup.com or other similar websites. You know, reach out. If you're nice to someone, more often than not, they'll be nice to you, even if you've never done whatever activity that you've found online. For both Americans and Koreans, openness and willingness is a key. Because if I'm a Korean or American coming to Korea and I let's say I'm holed up or decide to keep myself isolated, right? I'm not going to get anything out of it. And similarly, if a Korean were to go to the U.S. and he or she is you know, watching TV or doing very little to help themselves make more friends, be less lonely, and other, and whatever else the case might be, then they would only lose and not gain. Mm-hmm. So be adaptable, open-minded, put yourself out there and mix with the locals. That's right. Words of wisdom from Peter Kim, the English professor at Cookman University, a New Jersey native and a friend of mine for over a decade. Peter, thank you so much for being here. I know in Korea it's approaching midnight, so I'm not going to keep you any longer. Thank you for being on our show today. I'm all happy to talk. It's always great to see you, Roberta. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And before you go, a quick question. Would you like anybody sure. listening to this episode tag you on Instagram or befriend you on Facebook or whatever it is? Happy to do it. Details on the show yeah, notes. Absolutely, sure. If they want to friend you on both platforms. You're giving out your That's email it. too. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you, Roy. It's been great.
I've loved it. All the best to you and your podcast. Thank you so much. And I know this is not the last discussion we're having. There's so much that's going to keep happening in both countries. And maybe in the next episode, you'll talk to us more about the course that you're delivering at Cookman University. Always happy to share, Regretta. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe, give a rating and a review, and we'll be with you next time. Mm-hmm.